we pray to you, and we worship you, and we adore you. We thank you for your word, which was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we ask for grace to understand. And I ask for grace, Lord, to preach your word plainly, boldly, with clarity, so that your people might be edified and strengthened in their faith. In Jesus' holy name, amen. If you looked at the sermon title, you might be wondering what it is. You might wonder how to even pronounce that word. It's Shema, the great Shema. I can chant it in Hebrew for you, but I'm not going to. I did it for someone last night, and the person had a mixed reaction to it. Um, I thought it sounded rather melodic, but I suppose my idea of melody and others... uh, bears difference. But this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. The background to the book of Deuteronomy is this. The generation that was given the right to go into the promised land, the second generation, the children and grandchildren of those who had fallen in the desert because of their unfaithfulness to God, were now going to be given the law once again to remind them of how to live in the land, of how to live before the Lord our God. It's the same thing for us. Now, not all of these laws apply to us. Some of them obviously have no application outside of ancient Israel 3,000 years ago. Some of them do, however. And what I'm going to be doing this year is I'm going to be preaching through the book of Ephesians very slowly. And I was talking with a friend of mine and he says, well, the Shema is a kind of a strange place to start a study of the book of Ephesians, don't you think? I says, no, and then I'm going to jump to Revelation actually for a week and then go, to, then go to, into Ephesians, but I have my reasons. He goes, I'm sure you do. You see, what I want to occur this year is for a a type of community study to begin. Let's face it, many of us do not read our Bibles. Many of us know nothing of our Bibles. Many of us do not know how to pray. Many of us do not know how to teach our children even the basics of the Christian faith. And frankly, I could stand in virtually any pulpit in the world and say that. And I want that to change. And I want the book of Ephesians to help us do that. The book of Ephesians is, in my opinion, Paul's most mature epistle. He wrote it after all this trouble in the book of Acts, when he was under house arrest in Rome. He had time to think. And the Holy Spirit inspired him in about 3,000 words to cover virtually every important Christian doctrine. In other words, if you can get a hold of the book of Ephesians in your mind and heart, you will have answers to virtually every question that might come your way. And what I want to do, the goal, is for all of us to be reading each week 
a small portion of the book of Ephesians together. Not on a Wednesday night or anything like that, but in your homes. So that when Sunday worship is done, we don't start talking about the Steelers. We don't start talking about work, but we'll start to talk about, hey, that passage in Ephesians. And since it's only 3,000 words and I'm going to be doing small portions, you're going to get to read a lot of it over and over and over so it gets into your bones. That's what I want. I want us to begin to discuss the book of Ephesians together in casual conversation so that this type of unity can occur. Now let me make it clear why I'm studying, starting with the Shema, which is uh, fairly removed from the book of Ephesians. Hopefully by the end of the sermon you'll understand. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Hero Israel, he starts with this great command. This is, this is one of the central passages in the Bible. Teaching the absolute unity of God. That there is only one God. Hero Israel. The church is the Israel of God. That is clear from the book of Galatians. That is clear from the book of Romans. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the first thing we need to understand. That is the first step in gaining any understanding of the true religion. That there is one God. You just confess that in the Apostles' Creed. Now, the one God revealed himself in what we call a fancy way, triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as time went by. Do you realize that you, just an ordinary, everyday Christian, if you can read even at a rudimentary level, and what's beautiful about our day and age is you don't even have to be able to read to be able to get the Word of God in your heart. Because we have this thing called MP3s and CDs, and I keep telling you, if you don't like to read, no big deal. Buy it and listen to it. Certainly better than listening to rock and roll or pop or whatever you want. You can get it into your heart. You can understand it. It goes over and over and over and over. Just keep hitting that replay button. It takes 18 minutes to listen to the book of Ephesians. The last few months, I've done it hundreds of times. Go to YouTube. Type in Ephesians. I advise New King James or the ESV. If you like the King James, roll with that. Hit play, 18 to 19 minutes, you're done. Your mind will wander. 
It will. I promise you. But you know what? You can hit replay. And the more you listen to it, the more you read it, the more you hear it, the more it gets into you. You know, there's passages where the prophets, some of them, are commanded to eat scrolls. And we think, it's got ink on it. Eat paper. Now they really had to do that, but it's symbolic as well. You have to, what does Jesus say when he's tempted by Satan in the desert? He says, if you're the son of God, which really means, hey, since you're the son of God, because you're the son of God, and by insinuation, you're a little hungry, you haven't eaten in 40 days, show me, make these stones into bread. What does Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. You see, Satan tempted him with the physical sensations of this world. Every one of the temptations was a physical sensation of this world. Christ responded intellectually and spiritually with the written word of God. And it's not ironic and it's not a coincidence that he used the book of Deuteronomy. He used the law of God. You are to live not by bread alone, not by spaghetti alone, not by steak alone, even though that would be nice, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we're given the first of the greatest commandments, the summation of At the very least, the first four commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, someone came and asked Christ these things. Master, rabbi, teacher, what is is the greatest of the commandments? What did he say? This is what he quoted. You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a number of different ways of translating it. And then he said, the second is like unto it. You shall love thy neighbor as thyself. Which is from the book of Leviticus, which is all law. Now what did that man say? He says, oh, you've said well, teacher. I'm paraphrasing here. You've said well, because to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself is, is far better than sacrificing all these kinds of bulls. And Jesus Gave him a thumbs up and said, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. Listen, when Jesus, if you haven't noticed, when people ask Jesus questions in the Gospels, they're usually challenging him and they always lose. This guy was sincere and Christ gave him, he said, when Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God, that's, that's high praise. This is the God-man who told his right-hand man, Get thee behind me, Satan. For you know not that you are not concerned with the things of God, but the things of men. And we have to simply make a choice today. Thinking about that passage in Luke 16 that we just read. Will we serve God or will we serve money? And you can insert anything you want in place of that word money. You either serve God or you serve yourself in one fashion or another. 
and we have to decide what we want for ourselves, what we want for our children, what we want for the children of this church. We have to make a decision, and we have to make the decision every day. Because every day is a struggle to do that. Again, I could go to any pulpits in the planet and ask, who's going to stand up and say they've loved the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Anybody that stands up is either not thinking clearly or is awfully bold. But that's, that's the first thing. This is talking about the entirety of our being. You're not cut up into pieces. Depth psychology. Your emotions aren't separate from your mind. If you don't have a mind, you can't have any emotions. They're not something floating around out there. I need to get in touch with my emotions. Well, that's true. How many of you are in touch with anger? Is that, that's an emotion, right? I know a whole bunch of us are very in touch with that one. That we, 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 we can dial that one up right away. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Even in our sleep, we can dial that one up. But it's a cover-up for unclear thinking. The only time it's right to be angry is when we're righteously angry, and we're not righteously angry very often. And what I mean by righteous anger is when you see true sin in the world and it revolts you. When you see someone who has hurt a child and your anger is risen. When you see injustice, true injustice in the world and your anger arises, this is a little different than when someone cuts you off on the highway. We have to be very careful to not let annoyance and inconvenience somehow turn into some type of cover for injustice and unrighteous indignation. You see, when those little annoyances turn into major catastrophes in our life, and let's be honest, they do fairly frequently. I used to commute. I know I have a very short commute now. It's about 40 yards, I think. I know what it's like to commute. It's to commute an hour and a half each way one, in one step. I know what it's like to be in traffic. I know how annoying it is when people don't seem to know how to drive. And yet, they're on your front, back, right, left, and on the other side of the highway as well. But is it really worth getting that worked up over? Now, if you have the book of Ephesians playing while all these things are going on, not every time, but at some time, you will be reminded that God is present with you in that car when that person, who very well might actually be a Christian brother or sister, jumped in front of you. You never realized that. I'm certainly not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever cussed at another driver? Thought evil of another driver? Did you ever think that there was a possibility that person was actually a Christian? What's in a different perspective? They might even be listening to the book of Ephesians, 
and they just weren't thinking, then they cut you off. And then if we're honest, we have to say, hey, you know, there's been a couple of times I've snuck in line as well. I kind of waved my hand at least. Going in. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means everything comes second. Your work comes second. Your wife comes second. Your husband comes second. Your children come second. Your country comes after all of them. You see, if you get this right... Or if you begin to try and get this right, then the other things will fall into place. You cannot reverse the order. You cannot reverse the order. If we say that we love God, we will be showing that by loving our neighbor. It will be a result of this action. It will be the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And long after the book of Deuteronomy is written, the prophet Jeremiah gave the great prophecy of the new covenant of God, which is given to us in the book of Hebrews, where God says, I will write my law upon their hearts. If you're a Christian, the law of God is in you. It is burning in you. You have to be aware of that law, burning in your heart, burning in your mind. That's why you feel lousy when you do the things you do and you don't have to be listening to the book of Ephesians or the book of Deuteronomy. And if you're a Christian and you know, the more you do something, the easier it gets to do it. And the lousier you feel, but we continue to do it. It's one of the great perplexities of the pastorate. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. X, you're doing this and it's not working. And you've been doing it for 10 years. Do you want to try a 10-day experiment? 10-hour experiment and maybe try to do it a little differently? Yes. And it doesn't work. Why? Because the habit is ingrained. Those of us who are adults know it's hard to break old habits. It's a lie, you know, and they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. For one thing, you're equating human beings with dogs. That's not good. I love dogs. Love some dogs more than others. I really like the ones that don't bite me. They're a fave. They're a favorite of mine. You're not a dog, you're a human being. You're created in the image of God. And if you're a Christian, you're reborn and being refashioned slowly into the image of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the image, the representation, the embodiment of the invisible God. And we as the church are called the body of Christ. We are to be his ambassadors, his representatives to this world, which, as I keep saying, is falling apart. It just looks like it's falling apart. It's actually not going to fall apart all the way. Because of what Solomon wrote in that psalm. Christ has dominion over the whole thing. Do you think God is surprised at all by any of the headlines? Do you think any of it shocks him? When you watch the news and something happens, what do you often say? I've seen this before. 
You ever notice how the news is almost always the same? The weather's on at exactly the same time. The commercial's on at exactly the same time. It rarely starts with sports unless the home team has just won the World Series or the Super Bowl. It always starts with, usually, a catastrophe. And then it's followed by, a little later, a heartwarming story. And then weather and sports. Followed by Family Feud or whatever your favorite game show is. Wheel of Fortune. Jeopardy. What are you going to do this year? It's a new year. Forget about New Year's resolutions. What are you going to do today? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it goes on. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Well, we're New Covenant Christians. We are in the New Covenant. They're already in our hearts. The problem is, is that it's not going into our ears. We're not hearing it. It's not going through our eyes. We're not reading it. It's not going into our hearts as deeply as it could because we're not thinking about it. We're not speaking about it to each other. And that's what I want to change. Now, if you're on a Bible reading plan, keep going. These passages in the book of Ephesians are going to be very, very brief. As I said, you could stand up and speak into your smartphone a voice memo, and it will take you, even if you read very slowly, you could read the entire book of Ephesians very loud in a Shakespearean voice, and you'd be done in no more than 20, 21 minutes. That's the whole book. I'm not going to ask you to read the whole book at one time. A portion each week, and to think about it and to discuss it. But it continues. And this is the crux of the matter. You shall teach them diligently to your children. It doesn't say teach them. It says teach them diligently. There's that, there's that adverb there. Listen to me carefully. Very carefully. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the second greatest commandment, correct? If... We do not teach our children these things diligently. We are not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We are actually showing despisement to those that we would give our physical lives for. There is not a parent or a grandparent or an adult in this building that would not jump in front of a bus for any of the children in this church. I know that. We would give our lives, but will we give our time to teach them diligently these things? You can't teach what you don't know. You can't teach what you don't understand. So what I want to occur again with the book of Ephesians is that we learn it together piece by piece, small pieces, because many parents say, I don't I don't understand it. I don't know what to say to them. And if I were to just tell you, go home and read the book of Ephesians, you would be swamped. 
Because the first chapter is almost one sentence in its entirety. It's a lot of fun to read in the Greek, let me tell you. Long, long sentence. And some of it's very, very deep. But when you take it small pieces at a time, and then you start to put the pieces together, it makes sense. And then you have to teach it to the children. Because listen, we're so afraid. We're so afraid of what the future holds. That that these pagan hordes are going to come over with their guns and take our children. That's not how it's going to play out. They're going to come over here with their Korans and a Bible. And they will know both. And they will seek your child's mind. They will not try and cut off the head. They will go for your child's heart. They will not burn your house down. That is where the battle is going to be fought. This is a military hospital. It's a fortress. Your wounds are healed by teaching. And then you pass it on to your children. And the book of Ephesians, as I said, and I will tell you this for the next 52 weeks. Well, I might take a few weeks off. You get a hold of the book of Ephesians, you have answers to almost every single doctrinal question that anyone will ask you. So when these hordes that we think are going to come over with guns and they arrive with Korans, you'll have an answer for them. When you wonder, well, what should I teach my kids? Well, chapters 4, 5, and 6 are straight up New Testament law. Command after command, command after command. Things like, redeem the time for the days are evil. In other words, don't waste your time. Those of you who are my age or around my age, how fast did the last 30 years go? vacant look on the children. 30 years. (laughs) Blink of an eye. We only have so much time with these kids, children. Your parents only have so much time to get it deep inside of them so that when they are attacked, they will be weaponized with what they need. Their minds and their hearts need to be afire with the word of God. And it's our responsibility. This is a command here, by the way. You shall teach them diligently. You talk about it all the time. When you sit in your house. When you walk in the way. When you lie down and when you rise up. This is a fancy way of saying this consumes your life. Sports? Fine. Sports? Forget about it. Work, have to do it. Work, forget about it. On the other hand, this has got to be the center. This has got to be the hub that everything revolves around. So that you can then interpret what happens. Who cares if the team lost? It's a game. You shall bind them on your sign, on your hand. And we see Orthodox Jews with all these things on them. They misinterpreted that. 
It's not supposed to be little pieces of the Torah in, in, in places. And this is not talking about having uh, Jesus loves me, John 3.16 type of things over your sink, which is all fine and dandy. This is talking about your entire being consumed by the word of God. And I know that that scares some of you and that overwhelms you. That's why we're going to take Ephesians one small piece at a time. You'll know ahead of time what I'm going to preach on. Most of the time. And then I'll explain it to you. And I hope to get things up and running on the internet. So that you'll be able to go and look up notes. If you don't have the internet, it's no big deal. I'm hoping to get something in print as well. It's a big project I got planned in my head. Please pray. I'm able to figure out how to put all the pieces together. We have to make this the cornerstone of our life or something else will be. And Jesus' words in Luke are very clear. You serve God or you serve something else. God has to be first. And we have to teach the children. Because pretty soon, they'll be the ones teaching. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.